Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm Gabriella Yastro, your host for today. Um, and today we're going to be talking about how stress management can contribute to uh, mental health preservation and the promotion of productivity. Um, so I'm talking today with uh, Dr. Um, Dan Andre, who is an award-winning professor of psychology and health at many universities in Toronto, and who has been involved in helping many organizations achieve their goals. Hi, how are you? Hi, Gabriella. It's, it's my pleasure to be here with you uh, in, in uh, Toronto here now. I'll tell you, I'd love to be in Australia right now in Melbourne. We're in the middle of our winter right now, and you're entering fall, I understand. Yes, I think that um, win, uh, fall or autumn is the best time of year to be in Melbourne um, because there's a bit less rain. It's not too hot or too cold, and the leaves are just beautiful. So, yes, wishing you were here as well. Okay. You'd rather be there than here, probably. But it's lovely in Canada. Mm. Different kind of love. So <laughs> yes. I, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. So how did you get into um, this area? And um, yeah, tell us a bit more about yourself. Well, sure. I live in Toronto and, and have been here for many, many years. And uh, in terms of my career, I've been a professor for about 25 years, teaching at university and colleges. I've taught actually... Uh, 45 different subjects, uh, covering a whole variety of different topics, but certainly uh, psychology, education, and health are really my my very favorite ones. And I consider myself to be a specialist, you know, main, mainly in psychology and, and health and, uh, and mental health too as well. I've been a previous executive director. I was the first executive director in Toronto of the Alzheimer's Society, which was the first society I put in this pitch formed anywhere in the world, ahead of New York or London or anywhere. So that was a great experience. And when it came to understanding stress, that's certainly where uh, I really got my feet wet because you're dealing with caregivers and patients and helping them deal with very difficult situations, trying to help them cope you know, with all the obstacles and challenges uh, that come along with that. I was also the uh, director of an organization, Toronto General Hospital, where we set up the National Eating Disorder Information Center around anorexia, bulimia, et cetera. And again, the amount of stress that's covered uh, by, by that whole area, as, as in any area, uh, was, was significant. So Val and I have taught about stress at university. I'm involved in different organizations. Um, I'm, I'm the patron of Brain Injury Canada and uh, was on the international board of the Weizmann Institute of Science over in Ahovid, Israel, and uh, uh, a wonderful organization, one of the best in the world for research and education. Uh, I've been involved in many, many other organizations. I love helping organizations, trying to reach their potential, and uh, each organization is different, requires something different, but uh, I love doing it. Yes, and, and I, I like baseball. Anyway, baseball. Baseball and hockey, and I'm a good Canadian. Yep, of course, of course. Um, so we'd also like to get to know you a little bit better uh, with a section we call, Have You Met uh, Dan? Uh, so oh. our first question is, um, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear uh, the word book? Book, it's uh, about, well, I just came back from a vacation in Florida, sitting around a pool, the sun was there, reading a book and uh, do that for entertainment, pleasure, and, uh, and just to relax. I find reading very relaxing for me. Mm, so the opposite of stress. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, exactly. It's a coping mechanism. Mm. We all need them. Do you have a favorite <laughs> book? Boy, there are many. I was reading actually one about circadian rhythms and how important they are in terms of human biology in that sense. And I like reading books to do with history and current events and, uh, and health too as well. 
um, read a book by Gabor Mate, uh, how the really how the body relates, how you are really doing uh, psychologically and emotionally. They're tied in. The body and mind are so linked in together. So that was a fascinating book to expand my understanding and appreciation for that, uh, you know, duality. Mm. Yeah, that's a very interesting topic. Um, yeah. But do you have, uh, what about, um, what comes to mind when you uh, when you hear the word movie? Movie, sitting back with popcorn and sitting back and watching a good, good movie. I love documentaries too as well, but probably uh, to be, again, a coping mechanism for me to be able to, uh, to uh, escape for a little bit of time, but also to be moved in some way, uh, emotionally. Uh, if, I, if that happens, I enjoy the movie for certain different kinds of movies, depending on my mood. Okay. Sometimes a comedy, sometimes something much more serious. Depends on what's needed at the time. Yes, I definitely find I have to be in the right mood to watch a um, something dr dramatic or something um, very serious. Otherwise. Uh, I just won't feel good when I'm watching it and I won't enjoy the movie at all. Really? Can I ask you, have you seen a, a recent movie, for example? Oh, I'm trying to think. Well, um, no, I can't actually think of, of a movie I've seen recently. I'm currently studying and working. So unfortunately, yeah. all my evenings are taken up um, in front of the computer. Right. Okay. You're a diligent student. I, I, yeah. I know that and of course, with COVID having happened, that ties into work and productivity. We can talk about that. Mm. But uh, things were closed down here in Toronto. And so really, those two years were very difficult and very stressful for yeah. so many people. And now certain things are being done differently. People are working more at home. How we're buying things, for example, you know, online, how we're entertaining ourselves and being entertained has changed. So we're still coming out of it. And trying to cope with the stress of all these transitions. Some good, some some difficult, but uh, we're doing the best we can. Yes, I do, I do remember the first time I went back to the movies after COVID and I was so worried. I wore a mask the whole time. Um, yeah, yeah. And now I we're probably a little bit lax now, but we don't wear a mask when you go to the movies, a bit less stressed about it, which is probably not good. Um, but do you listen to any podcasts? I, I do. I listen to podcasts. I, I love ones on on psychology or on on politics, for example. Um, travel. It's another mm -hmm. one too, which I, I really enjoy and and love. Uh, what's called uh, public radio here, for example, in in North America, and people in the states, for example, may know what I'm talking about. NPR mm -hmm. with with one of the podcasts there. So uh, when I can, I'm busy like like you are, but when I can, uh, I find it really informative. Mm -hmm. and a way to see the world in a different way. Uh, we tend to get thinking in a certain uh, sphere, a certain uh, a certain manner, and always good to challenge ourselves and, and learn new information, build on what we already know. Mm. Is there like a podcast in particular that you'd recommend? It's a very good, very good question. Um, there are a couple of them, actually, uh, in terms of, of politics. Um, and uh, there are a couple in the back of my mind. Give me a moment, okay? And I'll get okay. back to you on that. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, and do you have a famous role model? A role model? Well, a famous one. Um, I'm thinking, one thing I do is I collect uh, signatures of, of famous people. Maybe we shouldn't spend too much time on that, but I have Albert Einstein's cane. He signed mm -hmm. by Albert Einstein. I have a Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Uh, not the only copy he made, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I knew. And another one who I really, really enjoy, and that is a fellow called Dr. Albert Schweitzer. Now, the people of a certain age, they may not know him, but he was a great humanitarian uh, who did work in Africa, and he was really a role model in terms of of, of reaching out and, and engaging people as a tremendous humanitarian, uh, a real empath. So I would say he'd be up there fairly high on my list. Wow, yeah. And it's very cool that you collect their signatures and autographs. Um, it's nice to well, have something that they have, I guess, touched. Well, that, that's right. I mean, in a way, it's symbolic, obviously, and uh, it's the closest you can get to them. Uh, and so there's a vicarious sense of uh, of knowing them. I know it's uh, fictitious, but at the same time, it's real, you mm -hmm. know, to them. And uh, I have John Lennon, who uh, wrote a song called Imagine. And so uh, his lyrics all written out for me. And so I'll look at that and I'll, I'll think of, of him, for example. 
and many others that I've collected. It was kind of a, uh, a little cottage industry for me at a time. I haven't done much recently, but you go through these periods of life where you mm -hmm. do something different. Yes, I definitely relate to having different periods of your life where, you've got, where you're sort of captivated by different things, certainly. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I guess our first question is going to be, how do you define personal productivity? Right. Well, personal productivity, of course, varies for everybody. And also we have to realize as we do that life consists of many different dimensions. So we have personal productivity at work, big part of our lives, but also with our families and our friends. And if we're involved in volunteer activities or sports activities or whatever it is, uh, our goals will be different in each case. Our expectations will be different. And so what marks personal productivity, I think, is when somebody has a goal they'd like to meet and that they do this uh, with a sense of joy and satisfaction and then reach that goal or, uh, or come as close as they can to it, recognizing that sometimes reaching that goal isn't done in one fell swoop, but incrementally over time. And so setting that goal and achieving it uh, is wonderfully uh, reinforcing. Mm. And do people have any like misconceptions about personal productivity? Yeah, I, I think uh, people do. Again, everybody's different on this, but it could be setting goals that perhaps are not realistic. If I said to you, I wanted to climb Mount Everest tomorrow, it's not going to happen. Or if I wanted to be a, a basketball player, I'm five foot seven, I'll never get there. So, so the goals, I think, have to be realistic mm -hmm. in that sense. And, uh, and also um, to recognize that you have to pace yourself very often. There's something in psychology, you may have studied it in your own classes, uh, Gabrielle, but it's called the, uh, the Yerkes-Dodson curve. And what it shows is that stress is important, okay, in the beginning to motivate you. No stress, we become lethargic and, and sit back, and it's hard to get moving. And that, that little bit of, of stress is, is motivating because stress can help us focus. Um, our attention becomes much more, much more direct. Um, it actually boosts our immune system. And uh, certainly we know it's so helpful if we're going into a, an exam, maybe exam, anxiety there too, of course, but in a sporting match, for example, it gets us motivated. But at a certain point, we reach the maximum that way. And then it becomes a negative in terms of more effort doesn't mean more productivity. So people who rush in that way um, and, and don't pace themselves or realize that there are limits um, may, may or may not have some difficulties that way. So I think it's really important to understand your own limitations, set realistic goals, and uh, and then follow those. Those And I know sometimes when we're really stressed and work gets really demanding, rather than do what we need to do, which is step back and restore ourselves, fill that gas tank, in fact, we put the you know foot to the pedal and actually become more, uh, more energetically focused, but actually it may not result in what we want to achieve. It's contrary in many respects to the messages we get in our society, which is to produce more. And uh, and a lot of myths come out of that. You and I, if I can say this, we're speaking before the broadcast about sleep. Mm -hmm. Now, as we talk further on about uh, productivity, if I was to say one thing that people could do, and of course, stress, uh, you know, uh, measures, relaxation is important, diet, exercise. But if there's one thing more than anything else, I would say it's sleep. The uh, getting your your hours of sleep so that you can refresh yourself and meet the the next day because we know that if for example we don't sleep well then we're grumpy and irritable and anxious and we all know what that's like and then we're more likely to eat uh, junk food if I can call it that carbohydrates and uh, sort of emotional eating and is that a problem well because we know in the human body everything links to everything else so let's take this you eat the carbs. And, uh, and weight goes on. When you do that, it affects your hormonal system because our immune system, our brain, and our hormonal systems, they all work interactively with each other. So what happens is there are two, putting it simply, there are two hormones called ghrelin and leptin that are so important. Ghrelin's what tells you, grumbly tummy, I've got to eat, okay? Uh, leptin says, whoa, stop there, you're full. When we're overly stressed in that way, and we, let's say, eat this food, Leptin doesn't work properly. Its its level goes way down. So we're hungry, but uh, the old stop button doesn't come on. 
so that we eat more and more and more. So that's a little bit of a digression, but we can talk more about sleep too, which is fascinating. But again, there are certain things we can do along the way to mm. try to with stress. Yes. So you have mentioned that, um, you know, a little bit of stress is good, um, but once it gets to a certain point, you know, it's detrimental to productivity. So I guess, um, how do you manage your stress and what is stress management? Right. Excellent question, Gabriella. Well, certainly everybody has stress. We all have stress. We wouldn't be alive if we didn't have stress. And if anybody says to you ever or anybody listening thinks, I'm not stressed, they're, they're feeding the line because we, we need stress, again, as we know, to, to motivate ourselves. Our human bodies are amazingly wired over a, a many millennia to be able to deal with stress. We'll call it acute stress. And we have stresses every single day, um, whether it's gridlock, getting to work, uh, whether it's uh, being late for an appointment, uh, whether it's uh, a, an argument you've had with somebody else in conflict, a bill came in you weren't expecting, um, an illness that comes along, we all have these stresses. Now, the key thing is our bodies react. So if you and I are in Melbourne, I'll say Melbourne, not Toronto, if you want snow here, but uh, <laughs> if we're crossing a street and a car comes right at us, we'll jump out of the way. Our hearts will beat fast. Our breathing will increase. We'll sweat. And that's the stress mechanism, which is working beautifully. It's a survival mechanism. And so uh, we know in a way how it, we know exactly actually how it works. And it works no matter who is involved in meeting that situation. It's the biology of stress. So we know that the brain sends messages out uh, to stimulate hormones. First of all, adrenaline and noradrenaline, which, uh, you know, get us aroused really quickly. If the stress doesn't go down so quickly, cortisol kicks in to keep us going. And cortisol has many, many benefits. But after the immediate stress is over, the beauty is that our body is programmed to then relax and go back to what's called an equilibrium or a homeostasis. So we get ready for the next stress. Okay? And uh, and that's that's okay. Our bodies are, are made for that. Uh, problems occur, of course, when we don't have a chance to recharge and regenerate for that calming system to kick off. It happens to be called, without getting too complicated, the parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, it, it rests and digests as opposed to the activating system, which is our sympathetic system when we reach some kind of, of, of stress in that way. Stress as well, Gabriella, is a, is a combination of biology, physiology, and psychology, because what stresses you may not stress me. What stresses somebody listening uh, on our podcast may not stress their friend or partner. So what's that all about? You know, it's mm. all about how we perceive what's happening to us. You know, and and so stresses can be external, like the car coming at us, or they can be internal. They can be thoughts. There was one experiment actually done. Uh, it was an interesting one, and they asked people to visually think of and not just think, but to feel what it would be like if your car got damaged and you had to find money to pay for this damaged car, and you didn't have a lot of money in the bank. And what they found is actually that the amount of stress was the equivalent of losing one night of sleep. So it's the perception of it, you know, that uh, is so key. And mm. uh, that's what we have to know. We have to know what our own triggers are, because everybody has different sets of triggers. And uh, where do these triggers, Gabriella, come from? Well, various different sources. For example, um, people talk about genetics. And genetics are important, okay, no question about it. But uh, they're not the only thing, okay, by, by far. In other words, it's your conditioning from childhood, what you've learned growing up, the patterns you've developed, what went on in your family, uh, your personal circumstances right now, which can change over time. Absolutely. It can depend on what are called the social determinants of health. Now, what are those? Those are things like, um, are you employed? Do you have access to resources? Um, are you living in a safe area of the city? Um, are you in good health? Things that uh, aren't necessarily concrete in terms of a number beside them, like blood pressure, for example, or, or galvanic skin response, but they are just as important as determining our overall health status. And so we have to look at that. Another thing, quickly, would be the idea of nature and nurture. Everything we do in terms of, 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 of psychology and biology is an intricate dance between our nature, our biology, 
and our okay, our nurture, our environment around us, and in our internal environment that way. And so what comes between our genetics and our environment? Something called, without getting too much into it, epigenetics. Whoa, epigenetics is a new field the last 20 or 30 years. And what it does, it overlies your genetics, your, your DNA, your genes, for example. And what it does is it actually will turn genes on and off it through chemical, biochemical processing. So think of a switch, switch on, switch off, switch on, switch off. And so what makes this happen? It's the interaction with the environment. Now, what does the epigenetics include? It includes things like where you live, what kind of food you eat, um, what kind of work you do, uh, you know, who your friends are, a whole bunch of other things that are interacting always with your nature and your nurture. So that's the intervening part we, we need to know more about, to know it's complicated, very complicated. It's very complicated. Very complicated. But in the end, um, we, all, we all have to figure out what's best for us to do mm -hmm. to cope with this. So I guess there's a lot that goes into, um, I guess, how you respond to stress. So, yes. and you mentioned before as well that it's our perception of what's happening and that what's stressful for one person might not necessarily be stressful for someone else. So yes. I guess, are you able to turn off that response yourself? Is that possible? It, 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 it is uh, to minimize it. Yes. And, and even to turn it off, uh, certainly to understand, you know, what triggers you have. Okay. And even to be able to trace back what, what's being triggered off, for example, uh, the brain works in such a way that, that, uh, the, the thinking part of the brain, you know, and the emotional part of the brain that's called the frontal lobe and the amygdala is the emotional part of your brain. So, uh, they're always communicating with each other. What's an example, Gabrielle? Well, if I saw a snake on the ground, I'd probably scream. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, scream. And, uh, and that would be, of course, my amygdala in the, in my brain, red light, red light snake, not good. I want out of here. Mm -hmm. Fight or flight. That's what we call it. Fight or flight or freeze. That's the stress response. And how we react to it depends on many factors, but that's it. Now, somebody says, well, Dr. Dan, that's only a plastic steak. Oh, okay. Then normally what would happen is the, uh, the frontal lobe, the thinking lobe would say, uh, amygdala back there, uh, you don't need to get so excited. It's only a plastic steak. It would send a message back and the amygdala would go, poof, thank heavens, we're going back to a normal state. Uh, when we're overly stressed, that communication pattern may not work so well. And so uh, the message doesn't get from here to back there. And people became, become very stressed and panicked about that. And bringing that down can be, can be very difficult. So certainly what you want to do is to trigger off this parasympath parasympathetic system, which is the rest and digest. Has to do with something called the vagal nerve. Again, I don't want to get too much into it, but it's a nerve that runs uh, from your cranium all the way down through your body. It kind of uh, is like a serpentine uh, weaving part that goes through your heart, your lungs, your stomach, your intestines that way. And uh, there are ways and techniques and models to be able to stimulate this nerve so that you can come back to rest. People do it through things like uh, deep breathing. Okay, We think of that as being so simple, but don't realize sometimes how valuable it can be and different ways of doing it. You can, for example, Breathe in to a count of four, hold it for four, and breathe out for four. Um, there are many models of this. Another could be, uh, think of a, a nice smell, a, a, a cookie or a pie or lavender, and you breathe in and then blow out like you're blowing out your birthday candles. And to do that a few times, and that will actually trigger off this system you know, and bring you back to normal. Mindfulness is another practice meditation. You know, people can use that too as well. Uh, people can do things like, like go for walks, talk to a friend. Uh, they can uh, volunteer, go to a movie, listen to music. Love, love doing that. I love the sixties music. Okay. So that will do it for me. What about you, Gabriella? What, like I ask you, you would, what you would do, or if it's not music, what might it be for you to bring you down? Um, 
So I I have been having some stress recently. I found that going for a walk really helps me. Um, because I find that the environment is sort of a trigger for me. Um, that I feel I will continue to feel stressed if I stay in the house and if I go outside, I will generally start to calm down. Um, wonderful. And so, uh, nature does something. We know there's Mm. a whole area of psychotherapy to do with nature, getting us out into nature and, and, and whether it's walking bare feet on grass or just being out, uh, there is a, uh, a salutary effect to that. No doubt Mm. about it. Exercise Mm -hmm. can be another, uh, for sure for people. It again, movement is so important. It doesn't have to be extreme exercise. Don't need to go to the gym and pump iron every day, but even a brisk walk, you know, can do that. Uh, it's it's important uh, as as a measure. Um, people have different ways of dealing with it, uh, and everybody's going to be unique. One thing doesn't work for everybody. There's no, there's no question. Travel is another thing. Uh, eating out, going to a restaurant you know, for good food can be another thing. But it's important to build in time for yourself, for something, for Gabriella time, for Dan time, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and and build that into a schedule because we get so busy in a 24-7 world that we we barely have time to become conscious of things. and But we need to step back and develop that perspective and, and accept it. And another part, too, that I've found in my own experience is that by accepting your own feelings about these things, people, it's easy to block it out. I don't want to feel stressed. I don't want to feel stressed. Uh, in fact, in the paradox of life, I find that the opposite happens. If we block it, it doesn't go away. It stays there. But if you can say, yes, I'm anxious, I I am stressed, and not to fight it, but go with it, okay, the stress also can be reduced. I've had a wonderful teacher in Toronto, Dr. Eva Phillip, who's a psychotherapist and a really, really wonderful person. And uh, and years ago, she was a supervisor of mine in graduate school. We stayed in close touch, but uh, she taught me that, the importance, because I was afraid to allow it. I didn't want to feel stressed, but in fact, the opposite can happen. So doing that. Um, finding as well a, a, a safe place, you know, uh, when I helped organizations, for example, or when I was a teacher, uh, a university professor, I found that if I could create a safe atmosphere in my class where people felt respected and uh, and, and acknowledged and didn't feel threatened or intimidated, uh, I tried to do that, didn't succeed every time. But that happened is after the initial two or three classes, or five classes, the class would start to bloom and people would realize that they could say something and they wouldn't be criticized for it. So, um, you know, no matter whether we're in a, in a corporation or a nonprofit, whether we're in academia or medicine or, or sales, we're all human beings. And it comes down to me to the same core uh, innate uh, aspects of ourselves. We all want to be appreciated, accepted, valued, listened to, respected. And so if that kind of culture can be created, uh, then my experience has been invest in communication, better communication, and really um, genuinely expressing that acceptance, mm. then it makes the biggest, biggest difference more than any uh, charge or any particular exercise. That to me has been uh, one of the biggest learning experiences that I've probably ever gone through. How does stress influence um, personal productivity? Right. It, it does because if we aren't in that sweet zone, that spot where we're stressed enough to be able to motivate us, but we're not too stressed, you know, that we're finding uh, we're becoming distracted, for example, uh, that's the place to be, for example. So the amount of stress will vary from person to person. Some people love stress and will actually perform really well under stressful conditions. Other ones may be overwhelmed by it. So each person has their own uh, their own personal perspective on that and their own experience. But certainly finding that spot for each person is so important. And do you have any recommendations of how we find that sweet spot? It's it's by awareness of our of ourselves and also of the triggers in, in our world, so to speak. And so if you're working in, a, in an office, for example, or at home, what are some things you can do? Well, you can uh, certainly organize your, your office area so it's, it's clean, for example. Um, you can prioritize things, okay? Uh, 
how many things do we do in a day? How many are so important that we can't uh, not do them as opposed to things that can wait? So breaking things down as well into incremental goals, which, uh, which makes things more manageable, more bite-sized is another, another way of doing it to give yourself breaks, you know, during, uh, during the time, whether that's a, a walk break or a washroom break or whatever it might be, just to get up and move around. We need to have that movement. Uh, it's so critical. That's another thing that, that we can do. Um, if you are in an office, um, and there's a chance to socialize at some point, uh, that is really important. You know, they talked about two things in life. I was down at uh, the privilege of being at Harvard to take a course at one point, and the two things they said for for uh, maximum satisfaction uh, were feeling in control of your life as much as possible. Nobody's in total control, but feeling that you you know you know what's expected of you, having clear guidelines that way, clear expectations, so important. Uh, that's one. The second is social contact. That's even for longevity, that we are social beings. And uh, when we are engaged that way with people we want to be engaged with, it affects our immune systems. They did a, a study once where they actually took blood out of somebody's arm when they were being hugged by somebody they wanted to be hugged by. I was important. And, uh, and what they found is that the killer uh, NK cells, you know, the white blood cells, went shooting up. Okay? Even that immediately, you know, when we're we're being nurtured or we feel we're being uh, understood or, or, or uh, you know, in that kind of situation. So uh, that's another thing, too, to socialize mm. uh, very on that way. And if you're having any difficulties, too, to reach out to HR or reach out to your, your boss. I know it's scary sometimes for people to do that because they're afraid of the reaction. Uh, and that's understandable if they can get in touch with that fear and say, I'm afraid, but still. I need the guidance and help and uh, and the clarification. Uh, we deserve it. Mm -hmm. And those are some basic tips that people could, mm -hmm. can do, I think. So that explains why after I've sent a, like a really stressful email, I'll go to my partner in the other room um, and I'll like, please hug me. I just need a hug. <laughs> Good for you. I love it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and you feel better afterwards. And I feel better I, I afterwards. Um, right. So... You mentioned before that we need to sort of, you know, get in touch with ourselves and understand um, what stresses out, what stresses us out. But right. like, what what should we be looking for? Like, what symptoms, um, you know, physical, emotional, mental? What should we be looking for? It's a very good question, Gabrielle. Certainly, when we, um, you know, are, are living our lives, there are different areas, and I'll divide them up into physical, um, psychological behavioral, cognitive too, meaning how we think and stuff like that. In terms of, of physical, um, we all have physical symptoms when we're stressed. Um, some people have stomach aches, for example. And why is that uh, so universal? Well, actually, it's, it's fascinating in another way entirely, is that the stomach is the second brain. In fact, uh, there's more innervation or more connection between the gut and the brain than any other part of the body. And so... Uh, you know, we, it's part of our instinctual being as well. And, uh, and so, uh, we react very quickly, uh, in many cases. So do you realize that what 90% of our serotonin, which is kind of our calming, uh, hormone is not in your head, it's in your gut. Ah. Uh, almost 80% of your immune system is in your gut. Oh, interesting. Your DNA is what you see. The other 99% is in your gut with the bacteria. Wow. So, I mean, what I'm pointing out here is that everybody has a vulnerability of some kind. So it could be headaches, could be psoriasis, um, you know, could be uh, an eating uh, condition, eating disorder. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. If you find that you're becoming more physically um, affected in some way, that could be a red light that indeed stress is, is getting to you. And again, some days are going to be more stressful than others. Um, it isn't a constant thing. I think in my own mind, is that there's a threshold each day we walk walk into work or whatever and some days there may not be as much stress and we don't pass that threshold other days there could be four or five things all piling up and then we pass that threshold and the symptoms uh you know build up and then they express themselves that way if it's emotional you may become uh, irritable um distracted um upset 
uh, depressed as well. It's another one. If it's uh, to do with behavioral, again, it might be around uh, an addiction or drinking, for example, or eating too much. If it's around cognitive, it may again be uh, trouble focusing and concentrating uh, on things. Things that we all do at times, there's no doubt about it, but it's not problematic in the sense that it's not interfering with our ability to be productive. I mean, perfection doesn't exist. We're all, we're all human beings, and in life, we go through ups and downs every single day. And so uh, when we talk about stress building up, we're talking about it incrementally building up over time, as we talked about earlier, without having that chance to regenerate and restore ourselves. And uh, it's like a drip, drip, drip until you finally get to a stage where it becomes very problematic and you become exhausted or can become exhausted. Mm, interesting. I find it so interesting that we have this um, physical reaction um, to stress, which I guess we consider mostly to be mental. Um, so some people say that, um, and you said this before, that um, we need a certain amount of stress um, yeah. to um, do our work. Um, so, and some people who like what they like to do is they wait until assessments are, are due the day before and then they yeah. um, start working on the yeah. assessment then. Um, is that is that a good idea? Well, again, you know, let me say this. There's no formula and uh, it would probably be easier on these people if they plan things out in advance. Um, they've been conditioned in some way to uh, to get a thrill from that. It actually can increase your your dopamine, for example, a hormone, you know, excitement, you know, the adrenaline, the uh, pumps away, and they get a reward by doing that. Uh, so everybody again is different. So uh, is it a good idea? Um, honestly, better if they could probably plan ahead in advance. But if it's worked for them, who am I to say or anybody to say that it's wrong, so to speak? Hopefully, they'd be able to, in other respects balance it out in some way, you know, with, with some form of, of, we haven't talked about it yet, but work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And that's very important too, to have that uh, personal and, and work, um, I'll call it not balance, but integration. Mm -hmm. That's a better word actually, uh, to integrate those things and uh, make sure that you are making time for yourself, as we talked about earlier, um, in addition to the work. Um. And you mentioned, so what is a work-life balance, I guess, or the work-life integration? Work-life integration is when you um, are meeting your own needs, your own personal needs. And so if we look at the things that we should be doing to, uh, to balance this out, uh, number one, as I say, is sleep. I mean, we need sleep because we talked about that earlier. We need it because it, it uh, consolidates our memories and our emotions. It also... Uh, releases the uh, growth hormone that repairs our muscles. Uh, it's an emotional catharsis through our dreams. Uh, that's another piece of it too as well. It's also so important because it also allows us when we're asleep to uh, clean out the garbage, so to speak, in our in our brains that build up the toxicity uh, every single day. We have a, a hundred, it's amazing. We have a hundred billion, numbers vary, a hundred billion neurons. Uh, it's just incredible. We've explored outer space. Now we've made great strides, but we're just the very beginning of understanding and unraveling the mysteries of this 100 billion neuron, uh, three pound machine that has about maybe 10 times as many glial or support cells and 100 trillion connections and uh, going all the time. One thing people ask me sometimes is, is it really true we only use 10% of our brains? And that's come from various urban myths. No, we use all of our brains uh, day and night, but we use certain parts of our brains more often depending on what we're doing. So the idea is there's a 90% there vacant is really a, just a, a big myth. Mm. I have, I definitely heard that as a kid growing up. Um, yeah. I was glad to learn that it's not true. It, it's not true. Not true at all. So um, what is burnout and how is stress different from burnout? They are, uh, they're cousins. Okay. They're not the same with stress. You are, um, you're roused up, right. To, to try to meet the challenge. And that's when we talk about the, 
fight, flight, or freeze perspective uh, because we feel under some kind of a threat. You know, stress happens whenever um, a demand has to be met, you know, in your in your body. And just an aside to the idea of stress, it was really coined by a brilliant Canadian researcher called Hans Selye. And uh, he used the term stress because he used it as an engineering term. He thought that made sense. Uh, but he later changed it and said, I made a mistake. I should have called it strain because the strain is what happens outside okay, or inside your mind that then causes the stress in your body. So uh, it's an interesting uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, aspect to look at from that perspective too as well. So uh, yeah, so we have this uh, you know strain that goes on inside of ourselves, and uh, and so uh, we try to deal with it the best way we we possibly can. But um, what do you think about it, Gabriella? What's your sense of it? I sort of see burnout as the culmination of stress. Yeah. Okay. If you it's yeah, if you if you're stressed for a long time, eventually you'll burn out. That's that's how I see it. Yeah. At some point, you will cross that that uh, Rubicon or that Grand you know, Grand Canyon, so to speak. Because as I said, with stress, you're aroused. With burnout, it's exactly the opposite. Uh, you are lethargic. Um, you procrastinate. You withdraw from people. Um, you just don't want to do anything. And it's, it's so um, problematic for you that you really can't even get out of bed to begin to try to deal with it. So it's... Uh, it's the, the, the serious, very serious end of exhaustion, uh, which then causes the burnout, which can take quite a while to recover from. Uh, mm -hmm. So there is a difference. They're similar because they both result in symptoms, but very different kinds of symptoms. Mm. And what can you do if you are burnt out? Uh, if you're burnt out, obviously rest is very important uh, to be eating, you know, eating correctly, uh, and eating, by the way, is a hard thing because there are so many different approaches to eating. Everybody's so different. It's very hard to give a recipe for everybody. But certainly rest is important. And also to talk to people. Uh, that's in, that's very key to, to have that direct connection uh, with others. Another thing would be there are certain apps that you can use, okay, that will, um, you know, put you through games, for example, to help deal with PTHD, right? Um, which is uh, very similar to the whole thing, right? That's uh, it, extreme burnout. Soldiers go through this, uh, for example, in a war. Uh, it's fascinating to how the mind can affect things because soldiers can be terribly stressed and then they can break a leg but still go on for another six hours of fighting. It's only afterwards, you know, that they feel the pain. The PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, will kick in later on. The mind is, is phenomenal. A weird question I have with yeah. apps and uh, PTSD. Yeah. I read somewhere that if you experience something traumatic um, afterwards, you should play Tetris um, because apparently it really helps to just manage um, and prevent PTSD. Is that true? There are studies to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. Again, everybody has to deal with it differently. Absolutely. But I guess part of it is to also, it's, it's hard to do, but accept the condition. Uh, again, uh, it's very painful to do, but not to fight it per se, to say, yeah, I'm, I am burnt out, you know, and now I have to take steps to sleep better, to, to eat better, to rest, to open up, maybe uh, talk to a professional for sure, um, uh, a psychiatrist, psychologist, social worker, or others, and then some, uh, some apps and some other things you can do. Again, there isn't one thing per mm -hmm. se, but of course, the brain does get changed. The wiring and the biochemical um, aspects of the brain do get um, drastically changed. You know, you want to get back to that equilibrium. You know, it takes time. There's no magical cure, to be honest with you. Is there something that um, I've missed that you wanted to, uh, to talk about? Wow, I think we, Gabrielle, you've been wonderful. I think we've talked about so many things. Okay. We've talked about you know, what stress, what stress is, uh, what leads up to stress, how we're also individual in how we deal with it, um, the importance of accepting it, understanding your triggers that way, to look at all the different things that you can do um, and to try to combat it. I'll add one thing. 
and that many people that I talk to, and, and maybe people listening to us tonight uh, or whatever they do, is that it just seems overwhelming. I've got to improve my sleep and my diet, and I've got to exercise more and stress management and maybe some spiritual practice. That's just too much for me. So uh, what I recommend is that people start with, with one, let's say one area that they want to improve on and, and make it realistic in terms of the steps to get there and then move on to something else, breaking it up into its individual parts because it, it can be overwhelming. So you can make success, uh, mm-hmm. be successful by, by doing that. So I'll add that one piece into it. But again, it's, uh, it's you being aware of yourself, your triggers, looking at, at things that can, can be done and, and to be hopeful too as well. I think love and hope are two things that are so important in this world, you know, and, and uh, people do deal with it uh, and it goes up and down, but it takes practice too as well. And mm-hmm. if people are prepared to work in that way uh, and do some of these things, the chances of a successful outcome, I think are very good. And what's a practice that you do yourself to um, help with your stress? Right. I, I get I get stressed, absolutely, on things. I, I love the deep breathing, uh, which oxygenates the blood, reduces the heartbeat and, and uh, the respiration, and uh, triggers off that parasympathetic system. So I will do that. I will listen to music. I love doing that. Um, I, I keep pointed out earlier, uh, Gabriella, I'll go for a walk as you, you will do. That's another one. I will read, uh, maybe uh, call a friend, uh, another possibility. Um, I will uh, maybe engage in, in a hobby or two. I enjoy traveling, which can be stressful in itself these days, you know. And, and uh, you know, we're living in a different world now. When so, stress has actually say exponentially increased. Maybe too strong a thing. But after we started up talking about COVID, after COVID and being locked away and and everything being disrupted, and parents having to be home with children and dealing with that, stress was really through the roof. And and studies show, is one study I was reading earlier today, where over 50% of Americans feel overly stressed in their jobs. So if you are stressed, it's normal. Um, you're not alone, far, far from it. We don't talk about it very much because it's hard to maybe be vulnerable, certainly in the workplace. Uh, but if you know there are things you can do and practice, whatever works for you, that's the important thing to experiment around from meditation to all these different uh, techniques we've talked about uh, or seeing a profession uh, that can help you. Uh, it's it's possible and can be done. We've also got some questions from the audience, which I think you've kind of well, answered here, but... Um, that's cool. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so our first question is, what can I do at home to be productive and remain engaged in stress management? Right. Now, is this person working at home, do we know? I'm assuming perhaps. Probably. Um, I would say so. Pro- yeah. I would say to to develop a, uh, a schedule, a daily schedule so that you stick to. So to get up in the morning at the same time and, and build things in into the day to spend time, uh, maybe two hours or whatever it might be, or two and a half, three hours at the computer, but then take breaks. You know, very important to to get up and walk around and then and come back to the work uh, to schedule an activity that you may want to do, whether it's the breathing or meditation, to read up on that, uh, and then build time in each day. You know, let's say in the morning and the evening, but certainly even starting out 10 minutes a day, once a day, to practice the meditation or the mindfulness or whatever you think would be helpful to you. It's got to be built in. Uh, it's easy to uh, ignore it, you know, when you get really busy, but uh, that takes practice and work. So schedule, take regular breaks, build up, build into your day something that you can enjoy, whatever that thing may be. Uh, go for a massage uh, or whatever it is, but uh, you can do it. At, 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 it's harder when you're at home because there's a fridge next door. Uh-huh. There's a telephone next to us, things we'd rather do. Yeah. Uh, and easy to get distracted. So do anything you can do to minimize that distraction. Keep the office area very clean uh, and uncluttered. That's an issue for me, but uh, I find whenever I do get around to cleaning it and I feel refreshed. It's so interesting because um, 
something that you're suggesting is something that my partner already does, which is he, he loves going for a walk during his lunch break and buying something exciting for him to eat or just getting okay. a coffee or something. Um, so yeah, I think it's good That's, to know. I'd love and, and build a reward in for yourself, whether it's through the practice you're going to do, or maybe at the end of the week or something, you'll go out and buy something for yourself. Mm -hmm. doesn't need to be, but some reward for yourself. And again, it's important to make the reward um, fairly short term. Um, it's like, for example, with a child that you say, clean your room and I'll give you a dollar two weeks from now. <laughs> you know, won't work, but you do yeah. it afterwards. We adults are the same way. So to build it in uh, on, a, on, a, on a schedule, if that's what you want to do. But uh, really to, to try to be good to yourself. I mean, that's uh, uh, so, so important. Self-acceptance as well as self-awareness. Our second question is, um, what are some ways to manage stress and promote mental well-being? We talked about some of those too as well. Mm. Um, when, again, it all depends on this, on this person. But uh, that would be, again, uh, I put sleep at the top of the list. Uh, and that means setting a set time for bed. Okay, each night uh, and uh, making sure you don't drink coffee, you know, a few hours before you, you go to bed in most cases that way, that you don't have blue light, okay, in your, um, you know, in your bedroom, for example, because blue light actually stimulates the brain to stay awake. It stops something called melatonin, which puts us to sleep from producing. So you need to be practical around that. Um, keep, the, keep the bedroom, you know, uh, organized and clean be very important. Uh, take a bath before, uh, perhaps, or whatever you want to do. Make sure you have a routine in the last hour, 45 minutes of the day that you can follow, whether it's reading a book or watching, you know, some television or whatever you want to do that will do it for you. Not to eat a heavy meal as well uh, before you go to bed. Maybe a light snack, whatever. Um, something like uh, warm milk with tryptophan, which is a relaxing uh, you know, uh, chemical. Um, some people I know put lavender on their pillow. You know, for example, it smells feel it's very relaxing as a as a you know as a as a product. There are other ones too as well. Um, so I say sleep number one um, and number two to be exercising, which again can just be uh, a few minutes a day, maybe half an hour, less than that even. People say, well, I miss I miss doing my exercise today. I'm a failure. No, some days you may not be up for it. You have to give yourself some slack. And, and that, that, that I find is really, really important to be reassuring to yourself as you would like somebody else to be reassuring to you. But movement is the most important. Uh, eating, eating uh, you know, more effectively, find out what works for you with eating. But we know fruits and vegetables, we've all heard of so many times, you know, fruits and vegetables, cutting back on, on sweets, for example. Uh, whenever, again, works for stress management, um, in terms of tapes, people listen to tapes at night, for example, um, relaxation tapes that bring them down. It works for some people, absolutely. Uh, these are some of the things you can do, plus the other aspects that we uh, mentioned earlier on our broadcast. Thank you. I'll definitely be doing some of these, but I'm also glad to know that I am already on the right track. You are on the right track. Perfect. Absolutely. I love it. Um, now we have a section called the open mic, which is where you get to talk about something that you're interested in. Um, did you, was there anything that you wanted to talk about today? Oh boy. What have people done in the past on this one? What are so many things? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, on my show, people have talked about gardening, um, sort of grabbing chances and, um, yeah, uh, taking a chance and, uh, sort of building their career from that. Um, but it's a little oh. bit different, my show. Okay, that's, that's very cool. I would say, okay, I would say one thing that I find very effective is visualization. Okay? Mm -hmm. And when I visualize or try to, it isn't just uh, through my eyes. Okay? It's not just a cognitive thing or a thinking thing, but I try to put myself uh, into the how it smells, how it would touch. Uh, an example of an experiment I would teach in my class was of basketball players. And these were all kids, maybe 20, 21. They were all basically the same skill level. And so what they had is they had one group practice two hours a day. Okay. And they practice, practice, practice. The other group would sit there and visualize what's it like to go into the net. Okay. 
and 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 how it would smell, feel, how their body might even ache after doing it several times. The third group was an hour of practice, an hour of visualization, and then after a couple of weeks, they measured the uh, the increase in scores if there were increases. All three groups increased. Which increased the most? Is it fair to ask you, or I can tell you, or? Uh, what do you think? My guess is the one that did the physical and also the visualization together. That's what I said, but I was mm -hmm. wrong. Oh. Uh, it, the visualizing. Oh. And so you ask yourself, why? How come? And uh, it turns out the researchers found it's because they were always successful in their minds when they put the, they put the ball in and they trained their mind to to uh to act to reinforce the reinforce that positivity and so because the actual thing and the okay the uh the the practice okay sorry the visualization and the practice um you know uh both good but you didn't make mistakes interesting interesting um, i remember having a project more of it i remember having a project where i had to develop but many years ago a manual for a, a seniors organization and I had a vision in my mind, wouldn't it be nice if the minister in Canada of seniors came down to open up this? And was it realistic? I'm not sure. But I just kept this, this vision in my mind of that happening and how it would happen and even walk through the steps. Anyway, uh, sometimes things don't work out in life, for sure for all of us. Uh, and resiliency is part of part of life too. We need to, to, to build on as well. The minister came and opened it up. But it was it was just a, a belief, for example, uh, and and visualizing that to happen made a difference, and I find that that's really really important for me. And I guess if you can visualize it, then you might take steps to actually make something come true as well. Um, yeah. Whereas if you don't believe that something will happen, um, and you don't take any steps towards it, then nothing will happen. Exactly. There has to be a conviction. Mm -hmm. and a belief uh, that can grow okay over time doesn't need to be right away but with with more visualization more thinking about it um developing that positive uh attitude and also um being flexible to the extent that sometimes you have to change your your uh direction like a sailboat or a sailor has to navigate through the wind we have to navigate through life too as well and so it's never a linear process straight through but to be flexible and and then to, if it's possible, to develop that resilience, recognizing that everything I do may not work out, but I don't need to catastrophize about it. That indeed, I can feel about it, I can feel upset about it, I can try to understand what mightn't have gone right, and then get back on the horse. And uh, we all, um, to succeed, have had many bumps along the way and many, many defeats along the way. When you see somebody on camera or whatever, it's so easy to think that somehow they are there because they're perfect. No, far from it. We are all human. We all have our strengths. We all have our liabilities. We all have our our uh, our our desires. You know, our 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 goals. And these can change. But it's a question of believing in yourself, and that confidence is a big part of being able to eventually deal more effectively with stress. Definitely. I think that's that's a great sentiment. And I think that I will be moving visualization into my um, podcasts. I'll think about how great oh. they're going to be in the future and yes. also into, into my studies as well. <laughs> You're very good. No, Thank you. I'm really um, so if people want to, you know, um, get in touch with you or um, learn more about you, where should they go? Sure. Um, I would prefer in, right now uh, an email. And if they wanted to send it to Dan, D-A-N dot Andre, a different spelling, it's A-N-D-R-E-A-E, A-N-D-R-E-A-E, at Simpatico, which is S-Y-M-P-A-T-I-C-O, S-Y-M-P-A-T-I-C-O dot C-A. And that will get to me and I'll get back to any and every email that gets sent to me should anybody send one. Great. Thank you for that. And uh, we'll put that email address in the, our show notes so people can find that easily. Good. Great. Thank you well, for coming on and talking to me today. It was 
so interesting to learn about this. And um, I will definitely be taking a lot of these and putting them in my okay. own life. You're, it's, it's been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed every moment of it. And uh, you are a terrific interviewer. Thank okay? you. Really good questions and follow-ups. And uh, I, I loved it. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pp.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.